This morning we're going to consider Esther in the kingdom for such a time as this. In the kingdom for such a time as this. We're looking at the whole of chapter 4 of the book of Esther. Haman the Agagite, who was second only to King Ahasuerus in the Medo-Persian Empire, sought and received the go-ahead from the king to destroy, kill and cause to perish all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women. Last time we met, we looked at the indifference of Haman and the king towards the plight of the Jews in that they sat down and they drank wine whilst the city of Shushan was perplexed. It was seen as an example of the depth of the depravity of the human heart. As it is written in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save people with desperately wicked hearts. And blessed are you if you are trusting in his work of redemption, having acknowledged that it is not just the likes of Haman, King Ahasuerus, and indeed some of today's tyrannical world leaders who have desperately wicked hearts, that you do as well. Blessed are you if you you have come to that realisation and received Jesus as your saviour from sin. Today we shall look at the response of Mordecai the Jew, who unwittingly brought about the death sentence on his people when he enraged Haman by refusing to bow down and reverence him. Also later on in verse 8, we'll see Mordecai sending what amounted to a command to his adopted daughter, Queen Esther, to approach the king and plead for the Jews. First of all, looking at verse verses 1 to 3 again, let me read them for you. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. The wearing of sackcloth and ashes was an outward show of inner grief and by going to the city centre, Wailing and dressed in sackcloth and ashes, Mordecai made known his sorrow and his distress to everyone. He wasn't hiding it. And that's perfectly understandable when you consider that a genocide of his people was on the cards. What I struggle to understand is the general apathy in our land and even in the churches despite the fact 
that there is an ongoing genocide of our youngest and most vulnerable people, unborn babies. Where are the sackcloth and ashes? I have yet to see them. When we eventually get to chapter 7, we'll see Haman, the instigator of the planned genocide of the Jews, being hanged from the gallows. Yet here on our island, the word is that the instigator and architect of one of the most liberal abortion laws in Europe may well be our next chief minister. Ordinarily, as a servant of the king, Mordecai's usual place was in the king's gate, as can be seen in chapter 2 and verse 21. However, with his sackcloth and ashes, Mordecai was permitted to go no further than before the gate. It would seem that the king wanted nothing to do with miserable people. How very different it is with the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, when he was in the world, put his hand upon a miserable leper and healed him. Even now, Jesus heals broken-hearted and contrite people from their sins and he gives them the great privilege of becoming sons and daughters of the Most High God. Even though King Ahasuerus sipped his wine at the same time that there was great mourning among the Jews and he would not allow anyone in sackcloths and ashes in the gate, you can be sure that as long as this world continues, King Jesus will continue to add to his church all who believe and and believe that he has lived a sinless life on their behalf and paid the price for their sin at the cross. Furthermore, Jesus will be with them. He will be with them, even those Christians in Afghanistan, and he will never forsake them. People were not allowed through the gate and into the presence of King Ahasuerus. But if you are a Christian, you have the great privilege of entering into the Holy of Holies by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, your great God and Saviour. Let's have a look at verses 4 through to 9. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate, And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her. 
and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. As we've already seen, Mordecai didn't even get beyond the palace gate because he had sackcloth and ashes on. Even so, news of his and all the other Jews, sackcloth and ashes and their weeping and their wailing reached Queen Esther via her servants. It was just as well that Esther's servants told her about the weeping and wailing of Mordecai and the other Jews in the real world outside the palace gate. Otherwise she would never have found out, probably. Whether or not the Queen's servants knew that Mordecai was her adoptive father is not given to us, but they certainly knew that he had been concerned about her welfare. We can see that to be the case in chapter 2 and verse 11, where it is written, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. That happened before Esther was married to King Ahasuerus and before she became his queen. In light of Mordecai's concern for Esther, perhaps her servants figured that she would be concerned about his welfare as well. Whatever it was that caused the servants to tell Esther about the sorrowing of the Jews and in particular of Mordecai, her father, her adoptive father, can you see that the hand of God was directing events, especially when you bear in mind that Esther and not Mordecai would end up being God's instrument to deliver the Jews from destruction. It was inevitable that Esther was going to find out somehow about what was going on outside of those palace gates. Although Esther had been made aware of the mourning among the Jews and, and, and Mordecai, she was still oblivious to the reason for it. We're further informed in verse 4 that the queen was exceedingly grieved and out of concern for Mordecai, she had clothes sent to him. She could so easily have ignored what she had heard from her servants and continued to the good, continue to enjoy the good life instead, just like her husband the king, but she didn't. She was exceedingly grieved. When the clothes arrived, Mordecai did not take them, neither did he take the opportunity to ask the servants to tell Esther about Haman's wicked scheme to destroy the Jews. He didn't mention it to the servants. It was only when in verse 5, Queen Esther sent Hatak, the, queen, uh, the king's chamberlain, with an order to find out what was going on, that Mordecai sent Hatak back to her with an explanation of Haman's wicked intention. And also Mordecai gave what amounted to a command to his adopted daughter, the queen, to approach the king on behalf of all the Jews. We'll have a look at verses 10 to 17. 10 to the end. 
again as to spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come, to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall enlargement, their, their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. We can see in these verses that people didn't enter into the presence of King Ahasuerus without an invitation. Not even the queen was allowed to do that. If they did, they were put to death in accordance with the law. All the king's servants knew that to be the case and that would have included Mordecai. He would have known that law because according to chapter 3 and verse 2, he also was one of the king's servants. However, with all the Jews under sentence of death, it would seem that quite understandably, Mordecai wasn't too bothered about that law. Also, we can see that Mordecai was not some kind of fatalist who believed in sitting back and doing nothing when clearly something needed to be done. Sadly, there seems to be more than a few Christians who do precisely that because, as they point out, God is in control, which, of course, he is. For example, there are Christians who never engage in evangelism They never tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people might rightly point out that salvation is of the Lord and it is God who will save all his elect. It is not them who save people, it is God. However, it ought also to be clear from their own experience of being saved that God uses people as his instruments and he speaks through people, such as parents, Sunday school teachers, Christian friends and even complete strangers. 
It's too easy to say that God is in control, which we know he is. In our passage, Mordecai urged Esther to be the instrument by which God's work would be done. If she didn't, deliverance would come through some other means. In other words, the deliverance of the Jews would come from God and it did not hinge or depend upon Esther's cooperation. Also, Esther needn't imagine that the deliverance of the Jews would include her if salvation deliverance came from some other person to some other person if she did nothing. Instead, she and her father's house would be destroyed, presumably presumably because of her inaction. Mordecai said to Esther, Who knoweth whether thou art come to this kingdom for such a time as this? The Bible commentator John Gill pointed out that Mordecai was intimating that he believed that the providence of God had raised Esther to that dignity, that she might be an instrument of saving his people in the time of their distress. And this he said to encourage her to make the experiment. Esther made a truly heroic decision to go in unto the king. It wouldn't have been easy for her. By requesting that by requesting that all the Jews in Shushan fast for her and by determining that she and her maids would also fast, she was commi- com- clearly committing herself to God. Even so, she did not take it for granted that God would spare her. In fact, she said, if I perish, I perish. Having asked everyone to fast for her, and although it's not written there, you can assume that there was a lot of prayer going up to heaven for her, and she and her servants were also fasting at that time. But still she said, if I perish, I perish. If you are a Christian and you truly believe that God is sovereign over all the affairs of men, then far from sitting back and doing nothing, you do well to consider what it is that the Lord would have you do for the salvation of souls and for his glory, whatever your station is in this wicked world, whether you are a king, a queen or a commoner. Also, even though it is not incumbent upon you to be reckless with your life, pray that you would have an attitude like Esther, who said, if I perish, I perish, as you commit yourself to your loving Heavenly Father. As we come to a close, can you see that the hand of God in what we have been considering, Queen Esther was none the wiser about the planned genocide of the Jews after sending clothes to Mordecai, which he refused to take. She'd heard that Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes. She sent the clothes. Her servants came back, but no uh, reason was given to her why there was all that weeping and wailing and sackcloth and ashes. However, she became aware of Haman's wicked plan afterwards when she sent the king's chamberlain, Hatak, 
to ask Mordecai the reason for his sorrow. Furthermore, even though Mordecai could get no further than the palace gate, the queen received what amounted to a command from him to approach the king on behalf of all the Jews. Can you see how in that seemingly hopeless situation, God was nevertheless putting things in place to bring salvation to his oppressed people through the instrumentality of Esther, whom he made sure would become aware of the planned massacre. By way of application, we can all very easily despair about the church with all that is happening, such as church gatherings being illegal in many countries, the persecution and the killing of Christians in many countries, apostasy within churches that embrace wicked practices of the world. They don't just uh, embrace the wicked practices of the world, they celebrate them. And much more besides. The antidote to all of that is to keep your eyes fixed on the word of God. And when you do that, you will see that the Lord Jesus Christ said, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John chapter 16 and verse 33. And that through his sacrificial death at the cross, Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. After Jesus had become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, he rose triumphant over sin, Satan and death. For all who trust in him, all whose names are written in heaven, and he will raise all of them when he comes again, and not one of them will be missing. Consequently, even though the situation is dire in this world, for example, you just have to consider the plight of Christians under the Taliban regime in Afghanistan, the fact remains that all who are trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin are more than conquerors in him who loved them and who gave himself for them. Dear Christian, no wicked schemes of Satan or of this world can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. What about those of you who have not yet received Jesus as your Saviour and have not yet believed on his name? What words of comfort can I offer to you? None whatsoever at the moment. All I can say is that the wrath of God abideth on you and that really is not a good position for you to be in. When you consider that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God who is a consuming fire. As Mordecai cried with a loud and bitter cry, why don't you cry out to God, confessing your sins, trusting in the perfect obedience and the sacrificial death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen.